We want to take our Bibles this morning. <clears throat> Sorry about the croupiness, but, you know, those people at 930 just preached me out. But anyway, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 is where we start. Now, next week, as already been mentioned here, and you can imagine, we're going to have a real special service for you next Sunday morning. And we usually have a very, very large crowd uh, here at both services. In fact, so much so that because of the pandemic, we've had to go to three services. And we're asking you and requesting you that you buy, or not buy, but you uh, reserve your seat by getting a free ticket. Now, that is going to enable us to kind of spread people out a little bit between the services, because after so many tickets sold, uh, we're not going to... or. I keep saying sell it, you know, but you usually don't give away tickets, right? I mean, this is free stuff, you know. Anyway, uh, you uh, get, your, get your ticket and enable us to spread people out in all three services a little bit. And so if you don't get your ticket, uh, there is an overflow, all, or you can get here early because we are allowing a few hundred, couple hundred people to come in just because there are guests and they don't know of anything about getting a ticket. And so, um, but you could get here early for that. But what are the chances of that? I mean, think about it for just a moment. So go ahead and get your ticket, all right? We're going to finish up a series of messages today on, um, a, a, on Jesus and your job. Actually, that's the title of the message. Why Not Jesus is the title of the series. And we're finishing up today and finishing up going through the book of Colossians. As we do that, I'm reminded of the time that I was sharing Christ with a lady. My wife and I actually were sharing uh, Christ with a lady in, uh, in the neighborhood. And as we were talking to her, getting right into the middle of the gospel, the phone rang. She got up and she answered the phone. And we sat there, no kidding, it felt like for 20 minutes. And she talked on the phone and argued with this person on the phone. And finally, she just said, look, this is business as though this is the priority. And sometimes, folks, we compartmentalize our life. We think to ourselves, well, here's my spiritual side of life. Here's church. Here's my job. Here's school. Here's the other things in my life. Here's family. And it's like a piece of pie, and we cut it up a little bit, and we think those things are separate from one another. But the Bible presents that really it's a holistic approach to life. And Jesus Christ affects every single area of our life. Now, we've asked the question, we've asked the question, why not Jesus? Maybe you've tried everything else. Why not follow Jesus? Now, in a few weeks, maybe even, I guess, really starting next week, we're going to begin a series of messages on following Jesus. Now, that was the plan. I was going to, I wanted to do that at the beginning of the year, but something came to me uh, and to us in last fall. And that is we once studied a book in staff called the, the Start With Why. Begin with a question of why. If people understand why, they're more likely to do it. And so, yes, that was the logical thing. So we've opened up the book of Colossians, and we've asked the question, why not Jesus? Why not follow Jesus? Then we're going to look at what it means to follow him. But this morning, as we look at this book of Colossians and we finish it up, We've answered the question, why not Jesus? And all the way back to chapter 1 and verse 15, it says, In the image of his invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation. He's the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe. He is Lord over all. Jesus Christ is what the Bible calls preeminent 
over everything in life. The Bible says he's our wisdom. So if you want the wisdom of God and approaching life, making the right decisions, going the right direction, doing the right things, you need Jesus Christ in your life and his spirit to direct you in that. And so then we're looking at the practical part of it and the fact that it does affect all areas of your life. Verse 17 of chapter 3 says this, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Everything. Then we looked at the family last week. Now we're going to be looking at your job, your place of employment. 40% of our waking hours are spent either at school or on the job. 40%. Therefore, it is logical to think that our greatest impact in life for Jesus Christ, or for that matter for anything, is going to happen on the job. It's going to be happening at work. Now, this builds in to our mission statement, building lives that matter by teaching people to love, know, trust, and follow Jesus. So what about this following Jesus? I want us to look at three things this morning in this passage. One is our work, then our witness at our work, and finally, our fellow workers, that we're not in this by ourselves. Look with me, beginning in verse 22, as we look at the work itself. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Now, specifically talking about the slave versus master relationship. We said as we began this two-part series, you might really mini-series, about relationships and how Jesus Christ affects our relationships. We said that in these relationships, the wives, husbands, parents, children, slaves, masters, it's a reciprocal relationship. You do something, but they do something as well. And you notice in this passage, it says bond servants. Now, some people would say, well, sometimes in the Roman Empire, you would have a slave situation. The the person would uh, live out their slavery time, and then they would become a voluntary slave, which is what we are with Jesus Christ. We're voluntary slaves. He's our master. He's our Lord. But really, in taking the, the whole context of this, we know that half of the Roman Empire, half of the people were slaves. Now, it's been said that no one in Rome did any kind of work whatsoever unless they were a slave. We're talking about doctors, lawyers, accountants, business people. Why were they slaves? Well, one, they may have been enslaved because they were captured by another country. Rome took over the world in that, con- in that time. If you look at what Rome is today, just a very small country compared to the United States of America, you can understand that for them to conquer the whole world, they had to conquer a lot of different nations. And these nations, many of them at least, became slaves to Rome. The second way you were a slave is that you had a debt. Rather than going to prison, you served the debt by becoming a slave for a certain number of years. And so this happened. Why? Did the Bible not address slavery as being so wrong because it is? We don't know. All the countries that we know about in history, recent history, uh, all the superpowers have always had some sort of slavery going on at some point in their existence. But Jesus was about leading people to himself, leading people to to Jesus Christ for salvation. In order to do that, he had to take the, uh, the Jewish nation and teach them that they were lost, that they were sinners, that they were separated from God, they needed a Savior. That was his goal. And then to die on the cross 
and then resurrected on the third day. Anything else would have just gotten the message kind of muddled up a little bit. Also, we realize that God used Rome because in the fullness of time, Jesus came. Why was it the fullness of time? Because it was a peace time. Jesus could travel anywhere he wanted to in the Roman Empire and never be threatened with war because Rome owned it all. And so we look at this and we understand that there, again, those two reasons why people were slaves. This is a horrible practice. I believe the Bible teaches or wants us to know that it is a horrible practice. And many of the things that Paul was teaching eventually, eventually caused the demise of slavery in the Roman Empire and in the Christian church as well. As slaves and their masters were worshiping together as one in a church. But the closest thing we can find to this is probably, in our society, is the workplace. We have an employer. We have an empl- there's an employee relationship. That's where we look at, in our modern world at that relationship, and I believe what God wants us to work as well. Back in before the Reformation period, the Reformation happened in the 16th century, and some of you that maybe have studied about that in school, uh, think about Martin Luther. You think about uh, John Calvin. Think about Zwing- Zwingli and others. And they were part of getting the Bible back in the hands of the people during the Reformation time. Really kind of taking things back to Christianity of the first century as best they could. And one of the beliefs before the Reformation was that basically secular work was wrong. It's just evil. In fact, anything that's not spiritual is evil. And you did it just because you had to. In other words, if you were a pastor or you were a missionary then you did a good work for God. If you were involved in the, in the uh, church in some way, as a layperson, that was good work for God. When you went out and you were an accountant, an engineer, a doctor, those are just evil things of this world that you just have to do because you have to make a living. The Reformation changed all that. Martin Luther brought out the fact that all of us are priests before God. In fact, back then, it, it was really two things. It was either triumphalism, And that is because we're Christians in the church, then we ought to have dominion over everything in the world, just like back in Genesis. And the other thing that was more popular was separatism. You know, I am separate from the world. Everything in the world is kind of evil, and it's just the church and the spiritual stuff that's right. But Martin Luther brought out for, of course, one of the verses, 1 Peter 2, 9, where it says, but we are chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possessions, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who are called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. He says, we are all priests. We're a holy nation before God that, there's a cause here, cause and effect, that we might be the witness that we need to be in the world. All of us, he said, are participating in the work of God, no matter what you're doing. In fact, look in the Bible. Abraham worked. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years, even the fishermen that Jesus called into the ministry, some of them stayed behind. All of them weren't Peter, James, and John. Some of them stayed behind, but yet you would look back and, and really say that many of them that stayed fishing were still followers of Jesus Christ in some way. And so we look at this and understand that work is something that God has given to us to participate. Now, let me say this. God could feed me and feed you without us ever lifting a finger. 
if, if that happened, if he said, look, you don't have to work, you don't have to invest, you don't have to participate, you don't have to do anything, then we would not have a real purpose in life. And we would probably sit around like all the Romans that didn't work and, and just sit around in our robes all day and do absolutely nothing but, but talk about philosophy or, or theology of some, or, or something. Absolutely nothing. One uh, pastor tells a story about how he used to really enjoy taking his uh, family camping. And he took a son, 19-year-old son one time, and they were staying in the cabin and it was cold. He says, look, son, it's going to really get cold at night and we're going to have to have a fire in the stove all night long. And so I'm going to make it your responsibility to go out and get the wood. The wood's right out there. They can see the wood. I want you to get out the, the wood, get the kindling, everything that we need, and put it right here. And he knew what to do. He said, that's your job. Now, what was he saying? Was that pastor saying, look, if you don't do that, we're going to freeze to death? No, he, he wasn't saying that at all. He was saying, look, son, I want you to participate in this. I want to bring you in and, and give you, as it were, a job or a piece of the rock. I want to give you something to do, and it's going to be more meaningful to you when you participate and I don't do everything for you. God brings a purpose in our life based on our spiritual gifts, based on our talents, based on our personality, based on our experiences, and gives us something to do to participate in the greater good. Now, I, I'm another illustration. I'm sitting up here, and I'm preaching the Bible, and I can't think of any job that would be more important. I don't know you feel the same way. <laughs> but anyway, um, okay. <clears throat> laugh. <laughs> Give me a courtesy laugh. Come on, you can do it. Be a little bit louder for the TV audience. Oh, that was terrible. That was just weak, weak. But as we look at, you know, you look at me and say, well, you know, you look pretty healthy, you know, <clears throat> if you know what I'm saying. Well, I, what if I were skinny? Well, in fact, what if I were drying up? And I said, well, you know, I, I just haven't had anything to eat in weeks. Why? Well, the grocery stores are empty. Why are the grocery stores empty? Are they not working? Well, they want to work, but the, the manufacturers and the, and the slaughterhouses and the bakers aren't working. And because the farmers aren't working and we don't have any food, well, then the preaching of the gospel could not go on anyway. Everybody has a way of God pulling them in and participating with them. But here's, here's the thing. We've got a job to do. And whatever we do, it says in verse 17, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 22. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service. He says, look, you work for someone, and you're to work as unto the Lord, not just as unto them. Remember what we talked about last week, the umbrella protection and how God protects us and has authority, a human authority over us. Well, anyone that in the family that we have over us, we look through them, the Bible says, and look on to the Lord because it is he who is our real master. He is the one we do all things for him in his name. Now, the question is, is what you're doing worth putting him putting his name on? Uh, for example, I, if, if I wrote you a check for a million dollars, how much would that check be worth? Do you imagine? Nothing. Because I don't have a million dollars in the bank. But if a millionaire 
was here in our church and wrote you out a check for a million dollars, it would be worth a million dollars. And I could, I could take his bank account, put my name on it, it wouldn't make any difference at all. It's his bank account, her bank account, they put their name on it, and Jesus is putting, he wants to put his name on what you are doing in life, whether it's in the family or at work or anywhere else. Now, is what you're doing in life and the effort you're putting behind it worth putting his name on it? Because that's what's happening. When we work out in the workplace and people find out that we're a believer, all of a sudden, his name is on our work. So what does the Bible say? This is not just eye service. People, you've seen people like that before. I remember working in a grocery store where these had a couple of guys, always, always a couple of guys that would work and work and work and just, I mean, kick up the dust. And boy, they would just be plowing ahead when the boss was watching. But he left on Saturday afternoon and they did pretty much absolutely nothing. That's not what he's talking about. He says, not just as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. You're doing it as unto the Lord, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving Christ. It's not a matter of serving. You said, you don't know my employer. Boy, you're not serving him. You're serving Christ. But in order to serve Christ, in order to glorify Christ, don't you want to glorify Christ? I want to glorify Christ in all that I do. So in order to do that, I, I have to be a benefit then automatically a benefit to my employer because I have to go through him or her in order to glorify God in heaven. I've read a lot of management books, leadership books, because that's just my perspective on things. But it often says, look, what you need to do as an employer is make sure those who work for you are a success. You want to train them and help them become a success. Well, that's one way the reciprocal way as well. It says right here, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have had a master in heaven, verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 4. So we do that, but I also look here in the Bible over and over and over again, and what is it saying? What is it saying here in the first few verses? He's saying, look, you need to work to make your employer a success. In fact, you can't really glorify God and make him, if I can put it this way, a success and glorify him in the world without your boss sort of coming along for the ride because you've got to go through that. I remember back in college, I was reading the, uh, we're studying through the Old and New Testaments and we came across the parables and I always wondered what that parable was about when that guy was working. He said, Jesus said, you are an unprofitable servant. So we studied that. And the reason the man was an unprofitable servant in that little parable as a story was because he only did what was required of him. In other words, if you are paid $10 an hour and you do $10 worth of work, just what the job description is, then you are not a profit. You don't make a profit. You break even. You're an unprofitable servant. It's not that you're lazy down and you're not doing anything. No, you're just doing what is required. And so with that, the first interim pastor, and an interim pastor it is, is you're a temporary guy when they're looking for the real guy. You know, you got to have somebody to preach every Sunday. And so there's this little country church near uh, where I went to school, about 20 minutes away. 
and they needed an interim pastor and they wanted to hire me to do it as one of the students there at school. And uh, I said, what's the job description? And so they told me the job description and basically I was to preach on Sunday morning. I could do whatever I wanted to on Sunday afternoon. I'd go back to the school and study. I could stay there somewhere in the church, hang around, whatever I wanted to do and then preach on Sunday night. That was it. That's all they wanted. I said, okay, I'll take, I'll take the job. And so first Sunday morning, I was there. I stayed over. I had, I had lunch with someone. And then I asked someone that I was eating lunch with. His name was Tom. And I said, Tom, um, do you visit the ho- who visits the hospitals here? And he said, well, I guess nobody really since we don't have a, a pastor. You know, we're talking about a little country church, 150 people. And, oh, let's go to the hospitals. And so we went to the hospitals. Afterwards, I said, well, who visit? We had some visitors this morning, so who's going to visit those? You know who they are, and of course, everybody knew everybody in Homer, Georgia. You know, you can imagine. And Homer, everybody knew one. Yeah, I know those people. Let's go see them. He said, well, you didn't have to do that. No, I didn't. But I wanted to be a profitable servant. I wanted to do more than what was required of me to do. And that's how one of the ways you begin to glorify God in your life by making the person you work for successful. So well, you just don't know my boss. Listen, if you don't have a good boss, then it's just going to naturally happen that one day, as it says here in this verse, you're going to be rewarded here on earth and you're going to get the promotion. But that's not your goal. It's not your goal to, to leapfrog your boss. Your job is to make him look great. Your job is to make him look good. Because as he looks good, God is pleased that, with the, that you are serving the one who he has placed over you, at least in temporary times, he's placed over you in your work. Well, you look around and people look at you and say, wow, you know, he, he's really a, a hard worker. He helps me out. He's not trying to show me up. He's trying to help me out. The boss is thinking, if there's one person I can really count on, it would be this person. And so we open up a door to witness. And I want you to notice beginning in verse 2, he talks about our witness and our work. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He goes on to say in verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. In the context of this, and I'll get to it in just a moment, he's talking about sharing our faith with the people that we work with. And he says you need to do, in fact, this fits into our vision statement. Our vision statement says to share the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever we live, work, and play, and go, so the sun will not set on the ministry of Cross Life Church. Wherever you live, work, wherever you work, wherever you go to school, wherever you live, carrying the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. He says, look, I'm going to give you three things to do on the job. He says, one, one thing you need to do is pray for them. Look with me again in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And, and brethren, we know this is difficult to do. One of the things that people come to me most and just confess, maybe it's just something easy to confess. It doesn't sound too sinful. Maybe that's part of the reason. But I think that it's true that many people say, many Christians say, I just don't pray enough. Very few people you run across saying, you know, I, I'm really a prayer warrior. Sometimes we're self-sufficient. Sometimes we lean on other people or other things. We're not persistent. We give up too easy. Maybe because 
We don't see instant answers to prayer all the time. But he says, look, I want you to pray continually in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be grateful for how God has answered your prayers already. At the same time, pray for also for us, that God may open up a door for his word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's talking, this mystery is the gospel, an account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Give me, pray for my wisdom. I'm out here in this courtyard preaching the gospel. I can't go anywhere. Give me wisdom as people gather around on what to say. Would you pray for me, he says. But he says, pray for those around you as well. Pray for those at your workplace. And it, it really does work. Praying for the lost, it does work. I remember being a student at University of Georgia before I went to Nicole Falls, and I was a member of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and we had um, a series of revival meetings. Now, if you don't know what that is, that just, you know, a preacher comes in, he preaches every night. We don't do much of that anymore, but back then we did. And I had been witnessing to one of the guys on campus, and I would see him uh, three or four times a week, and I was uh, sharing Christ. He's very interested. He wanted to know. He's just had a lot of doubts, and you can tell he just didn't want to give, give in to God. So I'd invite him to church. Hey, we're having a revival. Mike Gilchrist, great evangelist, gone on to be with the Lord. Been here at our church, in fact, a couple of times. He's preaching, and you ought to come. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. And so one of the nights of that revival, um, the pastor, or rather, Mike Gilchrist asked us all to stand up. Every head bowed, every eye closed. That's where I got that. Every eye, eye closed. And he said, before we begin the invitation, I just want to invite those to come. Just take a stand for the Lord. Just come forward and give your heart to Jesus. Immediately, I don't know why, but I, I do know why now, but I started praying for this guy. Perry was his name. I started praying for him, and I said, you know, God, I don't know where he is. I have no idea where Perry is right now. But wherever he is, God, I'm reminded to pray for him, that he would come to know Christ. Well, we're about ready to start the invitation. And he says, look this way. We're going to start singing. The rest of you come. But look at these half a dozen, six people right here before us right now. And I looked up. And one, one young lady kind of moved forward just a little bit, just kind of leaned forward. And I saw to her right, near the end of the line on the other side of the church, was my friend Perry, giving his heart to Jesus Christ. Prayer does work. It does. And so he says, I want you to pray. But then he says, I want you to live it, live it before them. He says, in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders are those who don't know the Lord. Making the best use of your time. Really a better translation of this is making the best of your opportunity. Maybe you work with somebody for a, a limited amount of time. You're not around them very much. Maybe you're, it's just a season that you're working a job with them. You make the best of your opportunity. And first of all, he says, I want you to walk in wisdom. To, and it means to kind of walk around, to hang out being always in the wisdom of God, walking according to the word of God is what it's saying here. You be a witness in front of them. Gene War, who was a Christian philanthropist, really, oil man back in Texas. When I work, went to work for International Evangelism Association, Fort Worth, Texas, um, actually the, the owner of that company, his parents were oil people and, and really very wealthy. They had wealthy friends. 
One was Gene Ward, oil tycoon there in Texas. And Gene Ward later wrote a book called The Godly Man's good book. But Gene Ward tells a story about how he came to know Christ. He says, I was walking out of my house one day, and I noticed this handyman type of fellow working on my roof, and he'd been working there day after day for several days, and he'd really been working hard, really working hard, even when, I, even when I, he didn't know I was watching him. Never slowing down. Always seemed to have a good attitude. He said, I just want to be encouraging to him. That's all, just encouragement. And a lot of times successful people are that way. They're just encouragers to people. So the guy came down the ladder. He said, I just want you to know, I've never been around a person like you that really just gives it all they have all the time. What's your secret? And he said, I know the Lord. Jesus Christ has come to live inside my heart. And I'm just not working for you. I'm working for him. And he begins to share the gospel with him. And he just said, well, whatever you have, I think I want that. So he began to go to church with him. And one day at church, Gene Ward gave his heart to Jesus Christ. And his life completely changed. Instead of living for himself, he lived for others. He, he, he was one of the biggest givers to Christian ministry in his time in that state. Undergirding so many different ministries. Why? Because a handyman decided not to work for Gene Ward directly, but to work directly for the Lord. And then finally, we need to share with them. Verse 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, let me share with you a misinterpretation of this. The word gracious means basically you're sharing the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of grace, but you season it with salt. How, what does that mean? Well, that means put a sting to it. Let them have it. Let them know where they're going if they don't get, get saved. No, it, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean having the jugular vein popping out as you're preaching to them. I don't know about you, but I don't put salt on my food to kind of get a, a bitter sting from it. I put salt on my food because I want to taste it. I want a better taste. He says, put a good taste with the gospel. Now, I know we have a gospel of power. But certainly in the Bible, it seems like there's some human persuasion somewhere mixed into that because of the life that we're leading. We're saying, look, this is, this is why you want to know the Lord. And they look at your life and say, well, you know, you're sharing the gospel with me. And if that's what's going on in your life, I want to listen. I want to know what's going on. You're adding flavor to the gospel because of your life. They see the difference in you. You've prayed for them. Now they see that you really care. And you're going to influence them for the gospel. That they would get under conviction and make a choice, hopefully, to receive Christ. Well, you say, well, you know, Pastor, I go to, go to work and I feel like I'm, or school, I feel like I'm in it by myself. And I've been there. But look at what the Bible says about our fellow workers. Verse 7, he begins to give a list of all the people that are around him. He says, I'm not alone. I could be in a pity party because I'm in prison. And all I can do is preach out in this little courtyard, but I'm not alone. And he begins to give this long list of people that he has continual contact. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is beloved brother and faithful minister and the fellow servant in the Lord. Anybody ever heard of him? Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother in verse 9, who is one of you. 
omnipotent, oh, anyway, you, I pronounced it right the first time. He was a fellow, he was a slave. In fact, the entire book of Philemon was written about that situation, but you've never heard of him probably. How about Epaphras, verse 12? He's the one that started the church at Colossae, but most of you perhaps have never, a bunch of no-names, but they were not no-names to God. And Paul was not in it by himself. Dear friends, if you say, I'm, I'm in it by myself, you know, there's a solution to that. You lead somebody to the Lord, and you will not be in it by yourself anymore. But I think you're going to find that when you show some, some real courage, at school, at work, what you're going to see is people coming around you and saying, if you can do it, then I'm going to stand behind you. I'm going to do it with you. And then what happens? You bring them to church, and they're greeted as they come, come in the door by a greeter, by a minister of God. They're, they're greeted by another minister called an usher. They're greeted by another minister maybe because of the band and the band singing to you and leading you in worship. And there's someone here to preach the gospel. We're all in this together. We're a partnership. And God says, look, just like the little boy was given a job to take the wood in, to be part of what the, the camping trip, to be part of what was going on, to have a meaning to what was going on, to have a memory to what was going on. Dear friends, you have a purpose in life as well. And God has called you just like he's called me. And he's called you to a greater task. To whatever you do at your job, you will not only be a contributor to society and a contributor to the gospel of Jesus Christ just by what you do, but also your influence in the workplace because what you can become where you work. Fellow workers, they're all around you. Many of you, like me, have never really heard about someone that has shot themselves in the head and lived to tell about it. Ron Harshfield was such a man. Lived up in Kentucky, one of the cities there. He lost his wife, a fairly young age, and became very bitter. Was not a believer, wasn't in church, became better, very bitter at life, began to drink. And the longer he lived, the more he drank. And the more his friends, this couple that was in his life, a colleague, was praying for him and inviting him to church and witness it, the more he pulled away and drank. He was at a bar one night, got pretty drunk, went out to his car, pulled the pistol out of the glove compartment and shot himself in the temple. And of course, that should be the end of the story but it couldn't be because he's telling the story. He was in the hospital, went through some rehab, came out of the hospital, and he was fine. A miracle of God. And the same, same couple kept inviting him to church. Finally, he said, okay, I'll try any. I mean, after all, he tried to kill himself. My goodness, I should have tried God before I tried to kill myself. And so I'll try God. Came to church, came to small group, actually, also. And after several weeks there, he looked around the room and he said, these people are so loving, they're so kind, they're so accept accepting, even what happened to me. In order to live my life and go on with my life, I've got to be a part of this group. I've got to be hanging around people like them. Then it suddenly dawned on him, if I'm really going to live my life to the fullest, I don't need to just hang around them, I need to become one of them. 
And he invited Jesus Christ into his heart. All of our witnessing experiences are not going to be successful like that. That's why it's just so important for us to be diligent. Diligent in our prayer life. Diligent in how we walk. Not because of a legalistic thing, but because we're looking to God as the one we're living for and working for and going to school for. And when opportunities come up, we intentionally look for those opportunities and share Christ. And many of them that you witness to will come to know the Lord. If you were to start this now, you could lead 10, 12, 15 people to the Lord before your life ends. Maybe 25, maybe 35, maybe 50. But they're going to reach others as well for the cause of Christ. So what about you today? Are you sitting here today and saying, you know, I need, I need to hang around people like this. But if I'm going to hang around, really I need more than that. I need to become like one of these people, like they are around here. And you can, because the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. A promise from God. It says in the book of John, chapter 1, same book that talks about for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That same book, John said, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. You want to become a child of God today? You want to be one of those today? Let's do that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. No one looking around. The quietness of this moment, I challenge you to right now to call on the name of the Lord. Why not Jesus? Why not Jesus? So right now, with their heads bowed and eyes closed, they're at home right here in the church. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? You can pray silently if you'd like as I pray aloud. Lord God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins and anything that separates us. And I ask Jesus to come into my life and heart to help me follow you in all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.